Welcome to another episode of USAV Bandwidth. Today we have Jay Kowalski filling in for our beloved friend, Chris Salazar Mangrum, who is out on the injured reserve due to some eye surgery. So thank you, Jay, for joining. You're welcome. uh, We also have our guest today is Travis Dethridge of Lynx Multimedia. So thanks, Travis, for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was kind of disappointed not to see Chris on with the patch over his eye and you know, that would have been fun. So I think today we, we want to talk about, as folks are going back to the office, what to expect from, you know, not only their perspective, but also the integrator's perspective. So, Jay, you want to jump right in? And You, you want to jump right in? Yes. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, first of all, Travis, I think this is awesome. This is, this is going to be a, a great dynamic discussion. So, I've been really looking forward to this. Plus, I'm a awesome. big Travis fan and a big <laughs> fan of Team Link. Man, you know, around those I am. I, I am. So... I got to kiss your butt a little bit before we get going here, just in case. So I did do a little research today before we started the recording here, and I did some Travis Googling. So I learned some things about Travis, and, and one of the patterns that I discovered, Travis, was, was your knack to pivot, particularly on inflection points. So as an example, and, and you can elaborate, your first company, Solsys, started after the dot-com bubble, correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah, we we started right in the middle of uh, a major recession when many of my friends were out of work. You know, great time to start a new business, right? So, yeah, so that was 2002. So I worked for a company that was very involved in .com. We were a web hosting co-location company. It was called Inflow here in Denver, Colorado. We had 17 data centers in the U.S. and one in Ireland. It had been a great run, and then .com bubble burst and I was I was trying to figure out the next thing and and that led to trying to take our knowledge of data centers and high quality infrastructure and then services that run on that infrastructure and bring it to the residential market. So I had an entrepreneurial streak in me since I was a kid and my dad had started his own business and was always a mentor and a hero for me. So always wanted to start something and do something. So what better time to do it than when you don't have a job, right? So yeah, the idea at that point was you know, take our commercial knowledge and bring it to the residential market and works great up until the housing market crash in 2008, 2009. And, and we had been about 80% residential, 20% commercial. And we were fortunate enough that our commercial business was growing at that point, And it looked like the builders we worked with were not going to build a new house for two years. So yeah, I don't know if it was visionary to change into commercial or if it was survival. Maybe the same thing in terms of getting into into residential after .com. But yeah, I think when this crisis hit, you know, I said to my employees, and I think we can touch on this too, but I, I think one of the keys to dealing with any major crisis is communication and speeding up the flow of communication. But one of the things we talked about very early on is that our company will not look the same. We are going to have the same core values. We're going to care about the same things. We're going to take care of our clients the same way. But some of our services that we offer may be different. Some of our people may be different. Some of our clients might be different. And I can't tell you exactly how it's going to change, but I can tell you things will change. And I think that transparency is important. What was the staff's reaction when you had those conversations? Were they scared? Were they excited? Yeah, I think that some folks were scared. I think that wondering what that was going to mean to them, you know, wow, if we're a different kind of company, then what's my role? And, you know, we have seen, I think, some of the best talent that we've lost through the pandemic. Those folks have gone, every one of them that we've lost 
that I wish we didn't lose has gone on to do something they were more passionate about in life, work with their wife, join a family business, things like that, that were kind of life changes. And I think that's natural in a pandemic too, or natural in a crisis is that people reflect on their own lives and make changes for them. And, you know, I I can't control that. All we can do is try to provide an environment and an organization that, that draws people to it and draws the right people to it and keeps people in it because they're excited about what we care about and how we deliver. And, you know, that could be doing audiovisual systems or that could be, you know, making burritos. We're trying to create that kind of organization where it doesn't really matter what we're delivering. It's how we do what we do and the people we do it with that that's the glue for the organization. And now on the flip side, our, our organization loves solving problems for customers with technology. And I think that's what we all do is we help our clients get their business done through technology. And as Jay, we're talking about pivots and change and and kind of where are things going in the market. And I don't think I have a silver ball of, hey, this is exactly the technology we're going to do, but we have to stay nimble and flexible as technologies change that, that we can keep learning those technologies and applying them for our clients to help them run their businesses better. What are you hearing from your customers? Yeah, I think that, you know, many of us in the industry are probably seeing this. So I don't think this is unique to us, but the majority of the conference rooms, even the ones built, well, conference rooms, training rooms, boardrooms, that's our bread and butter is corporate. Those rooms that have been built over the last five years, even if they were built in the last two or three years, the majority of those rooms are not set up for a computer-based video conferencing platform and to provide an engaged experience for both the people in the room and the people at home. And the clients that are starting to get folks back into the office are recognizing that. Many of the rooms were not built with any kind of video inclusion. And if they were built with video, a lot of times it was traditional video conferencing, which meant you needed similar hardware on both sides or you went through a bridging service. But in most cases, the folks who were not in the room were always treated at a lower level. The event or meeting was made for the people in the room and they accommodated people remotely and they were kind of treated as second class citizens. You know, they, they didn't have the same experience when they were remote. Well, then we all go remote and now we're all sitting in front of a laptop or computer camera and we're all on the equal playing field being remote. And the people who were mostly remote before went, wow, this is so much better. And the people who had been in the room went, wow, we can still do this. I didn't know it. I agree because I I was always one of those remote people before the whole pandemic. And you're right because those remote people were just kind of like the afterthought, like, oh, as long as they can hear, they're they're fine. And if if they can be seen or (laughs) if we can see them, Patrick, you can hear him. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it, it was old hat for Patrick. Right. <laughs> but don't let them talk. Don't let those people who are remote talk because we won't be able to hear them very well in the room. Or don't let them present anything, right? Because their microphone's bad or our camera's not good, right? And so, yeah, I think that's the... If I have any kind of vision of where our industry is going, I think a lot of us are seeing this and talking about it, but it's that we have a lot of spaces that are going to need to be refreshed with uh, technology that's going to create a engaged hybrid work experience where some people are in the office and some or many people are still remote. And we've now seen what these tools can do for us. And folks are trying to figure out, how do I leverage this so I don't have to travel as much? Or, oh, I can have 
I was speaking with a government organization this week, and they're used to having 50 people in an in-person meeting room, and they have 70 people on their board, but they didn't never get 70 people in the room. But now they're saying, wow, if we could get people remote, we could probably get 65 or 70 in most of the time. And we have two groups of 70. We have another group that's 100 people, and we never put the two of them together because the room wasn't big enough. But we may actually have a situation where we could have 50 people in the room and 150 people online going forward. Yeah, so they're opening up new business opportunities for the business, but they're trying to figure out what are the technology solutions that are going to enable that to function well and give an engaged experience for everybody. I think that's a huge opportunity for our industry and us as integrators to help solve that problem which is ultimately what we do is solve problems with technology. Well, that's just it, right? So trying to generate an opportunity to be equitable in both the meeting space and collaboratively, right? That's, that's kind of our bread and butter. So how do you approach the cultural aspect of it? You know, it, it obviously goes hand in hand. Folks are kind of wired to operate a certain way. We just talked about, you know, folks that are just remote versus folks that are in person. So how much of an impact does the culture of a company have on that? And what can we do as an industry to support that aspect of it? Well, for customers, you know, I look at it as it's not our job to change their culture. It's our job to understand their culture and then apply our engineering and technical knowledge to engaging that culture in the best way possible. So if they say to me, hey, we're going to be 100% remote and we're going to have very little people in the office, then you know that's a different answer than we're going to be half and half. And it's a different answer than we're going to have 95% of our people in the room and I have 5% remote. It's also a different question of who is participating at what level in meetings and events and whether they're in person or remote. What I mean by that is if, you're, if your presenter or your speaker is remote, that's different than if your presenter or speaker is in the room. And, uh, you know, we all just had the opportunity to experience that with our recent USAV Spring Partners meeting. And one day we had a presenter in the room presenting to the local folks in Denver while being connected to the, the rest of the folks over Zoom. And then the next day we had John Foley and Blue Angels presenting to us remotely to everybody who was remote plus a room of people. So yeah, they, de- they each of those events kind of had a different technology solution, but we didn't dictate, hey, USAV, you should do it this way. We said, hey, you know, how do you want to do it? And then Links helped support USAV in doing that. And so I, I think that that comes back to our, our design approach, which I, for those who, who see this, have worked with Lisa Perina, Cebola Systems. I a lot of uh, thanks for introducing me to design thinking and human-centered thinking. And it starts with having empathy for the customer and understanding their needs versus jumping into solutions without a deeper understanding of their needs. So I think it's that empathy piece first. So for me, it's not changing the culture. It's, it's trying to learn what their culture is. It's interesting because I've been reading you know, different articles where some companies are saying, hey, we're going back full, full tilt in the office only, you know, and, and, and kind of keeping that existing culture that they had prior to the pandemic. And then you have others that are now changing their culture as, as we speak about, you know, how they're offering remote plus in-person and doing the hybrid thing. But it, it seems like the, the bigger, some of the bigger Fortune 500, even the, the bigger banks are, are saying, we're going back full in-person, you're either here or you're not. And I, I think that's, 
it's interesting for them to just put their, you know, line in the sand like that. But I guess that's just the, the way they're handling. You know, my personal experience on that is at Lynx, we have four lines of business and another company we own in Seattle called Technon. But we do structured cabling, AV security and wireless systems for cell phone repeaters and public safety radio. Each one of our divisions is is really a separate entity and our own internal approaches to embracing remote or hybrid working are different. The way the AV group is doing it is different than the structured cabling, is different than the wireless, is different than Technon. And I think it just comes down to, you know, what is it that leadership wants to support and drive? And how does that leadership best think that they can not only deliver their services, but still retain culture? And I don't seek to pass judgment on either one being, you know, better than the other. But I think you're right. It's it, Each company is different on how they're doing it. And their approach to bringing folks back to the office, it varies and it means different things to different folks. I, I think that's why it's so important. We have to have that empathy in the process and, and understand their needs and their approach. Yeah, absolutely. Understanding the needs, listening, actively listening really to your customers, that's super important because everybody is going to be thinking differently about it. And honestly, every organization operates differently. So the back to office campaign is not a one size fits all. You know, so you 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 really got to understand who you're, who you're talking with, and uh, I love that you've mentioned empathy several times. Uh, I'm a vocal culture person, so you know I I tend to to lean on that side of the fence and and talk about empathy, and 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 I think it's super important, especially now, that we do more listening than talking. Well, there's also we're still in a time when different regions, different states, different cities have a different reality. You know, I know what you, what you experienced in Boston, Jay, is very different than what I experienced in Denver. And, you know, we have an office in San Antonio, an office in Salt Lake and Seattle. And it's different. You know, Seattle's still tighter than, than Denver. And then you know, we don't do a ton of work in California on the AV side, but our wireless team does. And, you know, that's a different environment. So it's, it is very much regional and state. That is another factor along with the, comp- the company or the organization's own approach. They're still dealing with whatever their in their region is is dealing with and, and all those things impact kind of their view of the world it's you know so a bank a bank that's based out of you know raleigh or charlotte's going to be different than a bank out of boston than out of california right even though they're all banks and we used to say hey the vertical there's similarities but now they've all got differences too yeah so you touched on earlier how you know a lot of these spaces weren't really equipped for video and we're also hearing from the manufacturing side that there already is somewhat of a shortage and it, it's just going to continue to get worse, you know, between the shipping, the containers coming from China and, and wherever else they're coming from, and then the chip shortage. So between that and then the, the demand will be up. So what do you guys, how are you handling it with your customers right now from, a, you know, trying to pr- prepare them for this supply and demand issue? Yeah, the... Uh... The, the first thing, we're, well, first of all, I think you're right. I think we're going to face some challenges. We're already seeing some of it. And it's not, it's not just our industry. It's all industries are being impacted. I, uh, a business group I'm part of, I, I've got a, a good friend in that group that's in kitchen remodeling, kitchen cabinets, and stuff that took 12 days now takes 12 weeks and, and can't get wood. You know, I was talking to somebody who's doing a remodel the other day and He's talking about importing his wood from Canada because it's cheaper than 
and he can get it faster than the U.S. So yeah, it's just you know it's happening. There's there's constraints across the board in many industries. You know, a variety of factors that have caused that. You know, one is the the pandemic, which caused factories to shut down. And then we have a fire of a factory and on chips and you know industries like automobile and Ford shutting down plants because because they can't get you know the chips to finish their cars right it's reality is that we are delivering systems or solutions that are made up of multiple components that's why we're called integrators right is we're putting things together we're not just selling a piece of hardware as much as our manufacturers would love us to and and we are trying to you know always cut down on the the quantity of parts and pieces there's still parts and pieces that go together to make up a system and if we don't have one of those parts and pieces, we can't deliver the full solution so I guess what am I doing about it? The first thing I'm doing is is standing up on, you know, bookshelves and boxes and yelling and screaming to tell people get going now, don't wait, <laughs> because the sooner you start moving, the better off you'll be. And you know, we've been trying to beat that drum with our sales staff for for six months. We are starting to see more clients move, getting more inbound calls from our past clients saying, "Okay, we're ready to have a conversation." where for six months, eight months, they've been saying, hey, we appreciate you reaching out. We're not sure what we're doing. We're not sure when we're going to have a conversation. So I have seen over the last 30 days, a significant uptick in the contact from the client to us versus us just to them and telling them you should start thinking about it. So I think that's a good sign. So the, the earlier we can get going, the better. Another strategy is is staying close with our top manufacturers. And we're probably not alone in this approach, but you know, we try to find our manufacturers that are going to be good partners and, and try to narrow in on a select few of manufacturers as opposed to having uh, selling and, and trying to design solutions around whatever's available or whatever has the latest, coolest new technology, but staying close with a, with a quality set of partners and uh, being able to have a conversation with them ahead of time and, and forecast, okay, here's what it looks like from our side. Here's the deals we have in backlog you may not have seen orders from yet. Here's the timing of those orders. Here's the deals we're pursuing. Here's what we expect to the timing of those deals to be, how will that look for you guys? And what should we be doing together to plan for that? And you've got a sure microphone there in front of you, Patrick, and you know, sure is one of our strongest partners. And they're very good about having those conversations with us. And, you know, other, other key partners that we reach out to are, are they're usually appreciative of that because they're, they're trying to forecast too. And I think, you know, forecasting for all of us was was maybe the greatest business challenge of the whole pandemic is very difficult to forecast what was going to happen six months from now. So the extent we can be a good partner to share information with them, I think that's going to help us and, you know, determine if we need to take stock on things or, but uh, stuff like that. I mean, generally our business model is not to take, you know, tons of stock ahead of time for things we haven't sold. But uh, if we have to, because that's, because we have the pipeline to support it, we'll look at those things. The good news is, is most of our customers already understand the challenges with the supply chain because they're facing it in, in their various industries as well. So it doesn't come as a surprise. It yeah, I think sometimes it. they understand it's an issue, but then they want to know what we're going to do about it. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's a problem. But how are you going to fix it? Because it's not okay. You know, so. Right. And that's when you bring in the manufacturer. <laughs> we just, yeah, that's right. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> So it, we, we had a little bit of a, a, a 
a taste of that last year. We, we did have a short period where, where the things were delayed, but I think the residual is going to catch up. And I, I do think we're going to have a bigger impact going into this summer and, and into Q3. One of the conversations I have in a positive way, one of the manufacturers I spoke with felt like we have about a six-month problem of supply. So the challenges that the global supply chain had six months ago are the challenges that we're facing right now. The the you know, the stuff that where they weren't building enough things, widgets six months ago because factories were shut down. Those are the widgets we're all trying to get right now that aren't there to get. So then that's compounded with you know port issues and other things, but that it could get a lot better six months from now. So. If the curve of the demand ends up ramping up at about that same pace, it may not be as scary as it might seem right now. So that that was one positive outlook I got. I was on a call the other day talking about back to the office, and it was mentioned that the service aspect of things has gone up through the roof because people are now just going back to the office, turning these systems on for the first time in a year. And now, you know, something's not working. Well, whatever that is, there's one thing in each room that's not working. And you compound that around what, 10, 20, 200 rooms. And now you have a large backlog of service. So a lot of their service teams were really under the gun with trying to fix all these rooms and get them up and running. Right. Yeah, we've we've definitely seen that uptick over the last 30 to 60 days as well. So that was another service we were offering while there was nobody in the office. We were saying to our clients, hey, this is the best time to have us come in and and do a service check and and look at things and tune things. And some of our clients took us up on that. You know, some were proactive and and agreed that was a good time. But you know, many clients were still kind of nervous just about the expenses and timing and well how many times are we going to do that if we're not coming back for six months do i want to do it now or should i wait till a month before we come back and things like that so we certainly have seen that uptick in service over the last 60 days where those clients are reaching out taking advantage of some of the offers we made for preventative maintenance whether those clients were on a preventative maintenance contract or not we were reaching out and that's another supply chain issue which is staff and people because we were using some of our project people who weren't as busy to do some of that extra service work. Well, now our project business is ramping back up and the service business is ramping up. And you know, as we get busier in the industry as a whole, we're going to run back into the, the people issues that we were all facing 18 months ago, 12, 18 months ago anyway. So that issue is not going away for our businesses. Yeah, I, I think the people issue will always, well, it will continue to be a problem even furthermore for, for some of the folks that had to make some adjustments in headcount, they might not go back to an in-house model. They might rely on outsourcing. So there's there's going to be a lot of need for subcontracted labor and, and, and you know, outsourced tasks. So I, I, I do think we'll see an uptick in that. And I, I think some of the folks that are in that world right now are going to make out pretty well as long as they can continue to keep picking up uh, the folks that are out on the street. And there seems to be a lot of them these days. So, Yeah, both of those came up on our call the other day because is a service tech the same as an install tech? And can you, you know, just take one in and put one out? And, and it was overwhelmingly no, a service tech is very different than, than an install tech. And while you can have, you know, some overlap to help fill the gaps, that they are really two different roles. And even talked about subcontracting some of that service out and and it was 
everyone was, no, we're not subcontracting the service work out because we just, we can't trust subs to do that type of work. Yeah, I think that it's both, a sometimes there's a technical difference between the two in terms of how they can solve problems or fix things or whether they're working on something that's more defined and engineered, but there's also soft skills differences there. Dealing with the customer and how to handle customers, for sure. That came up as well, yeah. That's an interesting difference because good good service techs have a good knack for creating and maintaining those relationships directly with the customer. Yeah. Whereas the installer is more like a, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna work over here and not yeah. make eye contact with you because right. that's I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Jay, you mentioned earlier there's there there is some talent out there. So you know one of the ways that we're we had started internally in the AV division embracing some remote working about two years ago and and recruiting design engineers, project engineers, or even some of our programmers. We had a programmer who was moving from Denver back to Ohio for family reasons two years ago, and we were able to retain him as a remote programmer. And so we had been building some of that into our own internal business model a couple years ago. When the pandemic hit, it was, you know, it certainly tested that and expanded it. And a lot of roles that we hadn't considered being remote went remote, like administration. You know, our, our, our admin team went almost 100% remote for six months. And now they're two or three days a week in the office. Not a role we thought could be remote. We thought that was an in-office role. We did take service coordinators remote for a while and changed our, you know, changed over our phone system to Teams phone system so they could be wherever. They are back in the office now. But there's a number of uh, things we learned through that for our own culture and our own business model, operations model. And we have been recruiting for some design engineers and have expanded that to be, you know, anywhere in the country. And, you know, the talent pool that that opened up was, was tremendous. So, you know, where I think we've all complained in the, at times of, oh, I can't find the experienced engineer that I need in, in my, my local market. But uh, that certainly has opened up a bigger talent pool to recruit from and find some quality talent. But we have to change some of our business rhythms and our cultural norms in order to make those people feel included. And that, that put pressure. We were learning that a little bit before the pandemic, and then we had to learn that very quickly <laughs> during the pandemic. Yeah, that, that's a tremendous challenge because you, w- what I'm finding is there's folks out there that, I ha- that have been remote all year and they're missing out. And they're also having these almost psychological effects. It's likened to uh, PTSD, really. And I don't want to downplay the effects of PTSD, which is, you know, um, obviously, if you have a traumatic experience, you're altered in, in a way. And these folks are, are having a hard time trying to navigate that. So I put people in a couple of buckets. I put folks in organizations, you're either you're resilient, number one, you, you can kind of make your way, you can navigate and kind of pivot on the fly and almost fly the somewhat straight line. You can grow from it, which uh, there's actually such a thing as post-traumatic growth. And I, I think it applies to organizations too, where you just crash so, so hard but you learn from that and you kind of, it's almost like a phoenix from the ash. You kind of rise up above it and, and you become something a little different than you were before because of the things that you learned and, and the journey that you did have. And then there's the folks that are or in organizations that are just completely unwilling to accept it. And unfortunately, those are the folks in organizations that 
I mean, you're already out of the game if you're in that bucket, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that makes me think of a couple things, Jay. That you know, one of the things that we we embraced during the pandemic is I had mentioned we were doing some remote workers, and we said, "Oh, this is a good opportunity to experiment with this." This, you know, instead of just saying, "Oh gosh, we have to work from home. How are we going to do it?" We said, "This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to learn." We're forced to do this, so let's embrace it. And what can we learn from this, good and bad? And what are the challenges? So we could be a better solutions provider for our customers who may have that need, regardless of a pandemic. And we learned a lot, both technically and culturally. And one of those things was, I touched on this a little bit at the very beginning, which was in order for our employees to trust us, we had to increase our transparency and increase our communication speed and and the flow of information to them. So we we did more video recordings of business updates. So hey, let me just tell you what's going on in our business, you know, this month or this week. We won this new work. Let me get that out to the staff and record it. Or let's have an all hands meeting and and do it live and but do it all on Zoom or Teams. So we did a lot more communication in shorter batches with a lot more information or here's what's going on in the world whether it was stimulus or it was you know social unrest or it was it was government rules and and pandemic mandates here's what's happening and here's what that means for us and just kind of getting that out there so people weren't wondering i think as we continue with more remote working that's one cultural thing we've learned is that the speed of communication has to pick up and what we talk about and how transparent we are with information has to improve when folks are disconnected. Travis, you, you couldn't be more spot on. When you said trust, I was like, yes, because that's exactly what we talk about. The trust factor, the trust meter of, the, of, of not only your folks, but the customer. That is so important. It, it has been so important. And, and you were able to organically recognize that within your organization which says a lot about you and your team. So I give you kudos for that. That's tremendous. That's going to help propel uh, your team and your customers moving forward as, as we see this thing through. So, you know, we talked about resiliency. I mean, you, you fit the profile. That's pretty awesome that, that it went down like that. You couldn't have a better scenario. And if there was ever a positive out of all of this, that's, that's certainly one of them. Absolutely. Travis, I really appreciate your time today. It's good getting different perspectives and, and hearing from guys who are in the industry who are just getting it, understanding it, and then actually putting stuff into, into motion you know, within your own organization and then passing that information out to your customers. So we really appreciate your time today. Jay, thank you for uh, jumping in as co-host. And you got uh, it. thank you guys all for tuning in to another USAV Bandwidth. <laughs>